last day of the year. And now you got to start writing 2024 on your checks and everything else that you do. But it's just another day in one way. And we continue to follow him. Um, I just encourage you, if you want to uh, start a good habit and you haven't been doing it, is to read your Bible every day. And this is a good time of year to start things like that. And uh, I just finished mine this morning. And looking forward, I finished Revelation, the last chapter. And I will begin again in Genesis. Now, I trust you have a Bible reading program, or you can, I'll tell you a way you can do it. You can read uh, 15 minutes a day starting in Genesis and read clear through. And you'll probably get very close to the end of the Bible if you just read 15 minutes a day, normal reading, um, or three chapters a day in the Bible as a, a way to do it. And a lot of your Bibles will probably have a, a program in them where they have a daily reading, or you can follow that route. Some people do it, uh, get a book where they have all the chronological uh, area. You can do it that way. Or you can just take your thumb and go that way, which is a, the worst way. But uh, get, in, get into a Bible reading where it's systematic and where it goes in that nature. So I'd encourage you to do that. And uh, I use, uh, for, for this is not recommended by the elders, not recommended by me. I'm just sharing my own testimony. Uh, that I take a one-year Bible. For me, it's easiest. And it's easy. I can open the book, and here it is. January 1, and I read that. Next day, it's January 2. And what it ends up being is I read two chapters in the Old Testament, one in the New, one Psalm, and one or two Proverbs. When you do that, according to that book, you finish the entire Bible, as I did, read Psalms twice this year, and read the whole book of Proverbs. One way to do it. But I'd encourage you to do it. Uh, the only way you're going to grow is take in the Word, right? Yeah, you can't grow any other way. Yeah, you can read all the books on Christian life. You can read all the books, theology books in the world. But you've got to take in the Word of God. That's what you've got to do. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, and we're going to pick it up in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We departed from it, and uh, now we're going to pick it up again, and we're going to start in Proverbs, or Proverbs, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. And we're going to talk about the worship of angels in part of this message as well. A number of false teachers had taken advantage of the church at Colossae. And Paul was writing to it. And he said, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and worship of angels, taking his stand on vi visions he has seen. And the whole thing of this false teachers was adding uh, human works to salvation. 
Paul exposes their aberrant views and reminds the saints at Colossae that salvation is a spiritual matter and reminds the saints of Colossae that they should not be served by earthly activities. Believers are to set their minds on the things of God, not on the things of men. And it's very easy to do. Like even your Bible reading, and I said I read the book, I can even become legalistic in that. Say, so if you don't read my book and read it my way, you're wrong. No, I don't, I don't believe that at all. It's just an easy way for me to do it. And you may have your own system and stick to it. My encouragement is do it. Just read the Word of God. You can do it in the morning. You can do it at noon. You can do it in the evening. You can do it any time of the day you want. Uh, you don't have to follow what someone else does. You have the freedom to do it however you want to do it. But the important thing is you take in the Word of God. We talked about this verse a little bit before we left for the Christmas uh, time. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. And this is a negative uh, command, but it's in the present tense. Stop letting people do that. As though the false teachers come with their, become spiritual referees calling fouls for every, uh, for people who don't keep their rules. Thus robbing one of the enjoyment of their freedom in Christ and future rewards, and secondly, losing their doctrinal and moral steadfastness. Take a look at Romans chapter 14, 12 uh, to 14. Romans 14, 12 to 14. And, and remind yourself of this. In Romans 14, verse 12, we read the following. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Right? Believe that? Better. That's true. You're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of your life and my life. Scares me to death sometimes when I think of my life. But I'm going to have to stand there and give an account of how I use the grace of God in my life. And he says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another's way. Stop accusing people for not following exactly the way you believe or what you think. Just make sure you don't put an obstacle in their way. And so here are some obstacles that have come up over the centuries and are still present with us today in the church. Mysticism, for example. Mysticism is the pursuit of a deeper and higher subjective religious experience. In other words, there are people that believe that they, this whole thing is internal. They call it, we call it the deeper life including visions, which are extra-biblical knowledge, or they've seen something, or they've seen the Lord in case, and they had a, a knowledge that is elite that nobody else has, and try to impose that on other people. 
The mystics believe that the spiritual truth can be attained apart from human intellect and rational senses. Mystics look for truth that is internal, discerning feelings, intuitions, sensation, and it derives its authority and truth from self-actualized and self-authentication from within. I feel this way, so it must be that way. Remember, God's truth is rational and God's truth is propositional. It's not intuitive feelings. It's not gut feelings. Some people will say, I feel I have to do this because I have this sensation or I have this gut feeling. True, God can use that, but it cannot be your standard of truth. Mystics finds the authority also in an irrational and anti-intellectual approach, which is the opposite of Christianity. There's another term that can rob you and you hear about it. It's legalism. Legalism is equating holiness to a list of taboos. There is a legalism involved food, rituals, and days. I think you could add another one to it. I'm going to be careful how I put this, but there's been a movement in our day of school, homeschooling, and this may be a proper way for you to educate your children, but it is not more important than anything else in a Christian life, and if you don't believe that, you don't have to do that. It's not a legal requirement in the Word of God. And you aren't any better or more spiritual if you do or you don't. You buy that? It's a, it's a principle that a family has to decide whether they want to do it or not. And do it and make sure your children are taught. I've seen cases where children have been homeschooled and can't even read after a while. So you want to be careful that if you're homeschooling, you're really homeschooling. And a trip to the grocery store is not a mathematical class. But you want to be sure that you also, if your children are getting stuff that we're coming out today, like transgender and all this kind of stuff, that if you are in a school system and this stuff is all around, <clears throat> that you sit down and you educate your children spiritually. A lot of times when uh, I'm in counseling with couples, I ask, do you guys sit down and have a meal together as a family? And you know what I find a lot of times? No, they don't. Meal times are great times to discuss these kinds of things. Meal times and bedtimes are a great th time to, to discuss with your children what's going on. And have an open discussion in your house about biblical truths or what they learned at school. Or even if you are in a homeschooling situation, you sit down and you talk about these things as a family. It's also in other ways as well. Legalism can show up. But it, uh, legalism is dangerous because it does not control 
the sin nature. The sin nature is still allowed to rule and reign. Legalism cannot stop it. Therefore, legalism creates uh, creates a basically a rebellion and a judgmental attitude. Biblical teaching and doctrine is propositional and rational and brings in freedom. Whereas legalism brings in law and criticism. Another one is asceticism. It is a severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. So asceticism is also another way where people isolate themselves and hope that it go. This to me is one of the problems of the Amish. They isolate themselves. And secondly, <clears throat> you have legalism. Having lived around uh, the, the uh, Amish, it's kind of interesting to me, you have a lot of different churches. One church you can put air in your tire, tractor tire, and another church you can't. One church you can have a, a radio, and, and another group you can't. I remember we had a Christian high school in our town, and the Amish kids would come, and they couldn't have they couldn't have radios in their car, so the parents would break off the area. But the kids would come to school, stick a coat hanger in there, and still hear the radio. It becomes very, very judgmental. That would be an extreme uh, of asceticism or legalism, both. But here's what. Uh, Paul said, 2 Timothy 2.15, the Iwana verse, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And what's the last part of that? Accurately handling the word of truth. Characteristics of a false teacher are given in this verse as well. He says... Number one, delighting themselves in self-abasement. Genuine humility is of the Spirit of God. In Ephesians 4, 2, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That's true humility and gentleness. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Verse continues, but with humility of mind, regard for one another as more important than yourself. Everybody in this church is more important than you. You believe that? That's humility. The mystic prides himself because of his hidden superior knowledge through false humility, which is nothing more than ugly pride. Now we have a word for it. We call them Holy Joes. We have people who are, give the air that they are more important than anyone else because they know more of the Bible or they more know more spiritual truth than anyone else. It's an ugly pride. 
As someone has said, the moment you think you are humble is the moment you lost it. It's like the guy said, I wrote a book on humility with 12 life-size pictures of myself. Humility is, a, is a, like a vapor. You think you have it, you don't. But it's created because you recognize that God is all in everything in your life and everything he's given you, God has given it to you. It's not yours. The worship of angels. The realm of angels, that there are angels, is a reality. God created all the angels. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Turn to me with, uh, to that book. It's before Psalms. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Where God says he created all the angels. Nehemiah 9, verse 6 starts, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them. You gave life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Okay, go to, uh, just go further in your Bible to Psalm 148, verses 2 to 6. And here's the role of angels who do exist. It says, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens. And the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. And he's made a decree which will not pass away. So God created the angels. How many angels are there, do you think? We don't know. But I'll give you a couple verses. Both at the back of your Bible. One in Jude and verse 14. How many angels are there? Jude chapter 14. They're short chapters. They're only one verse. It was also about these men that Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. Speaking of angels. You want a larger number? Go to Revelation chapter 5, the next book. Revelation 5 and verse 11. Talking about what's going on in heaven. There are other verses in Daniel as well. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I think you go into the billions. Angels. The worship of angels is entering a forbidden territory. Christ has the preeminence above all creatures, including angels. Go back to Colossians. 
He reminds us of this before he ever gets to this verse. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Speaking of Christ, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is the head of the world. And what keeps all this together? Christ's word. When you think of it, what is that keeps all the atoms, which are nothing more than little solar systems, which combine everything together, and if you would take this pulpit and reduce it to pure material, you wouldn't even see it. That's how much space is in here. And what holds that little universe atom together? Well, scientists don't totally have the answer. Call it atomic glue. But the Bible gives you the answer. It's Christ's word. It's his word that holds this together. Colossians 1, verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. The curiosity about angels he has captured... Now, that's not part of the verse. But what I'm saying is the curiosity about angels has captured the minds of people and believers in the church age. I remember years ago, we would, uh, several of us on a pastoral staff would go to a library. And for uh, at that particular period of time, what occupied most of the front where they want to sell the books was angels. Uh, angels are really on top of curiosity, not only in the church, but obviously in the world itself. And in Colossians 1.20 we read, And through him to reconcile all things to himself have made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things on heaven. Colossians 2.9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Colossians 2.17, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Which gets, gets us into, what do angels do anyway? Psalm 148, which we just read, they praise God. They praise him, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from, he from the heavens, praise him from the heights, praise him in all Praise him in his hopes. Now here's what we know they do in the, Old, in the New Testament. They appeared in the Old Testament. Angels appeared to certain prophets, especially Daniel. Uh, the angel came to him and told him about the 70 weeks prophecy. Angels came. And in fact, we read that in the 70 weeks prophecy, when he started to pray, the angel came by the time he was done praying, left heaven and came uh, to Daniel's side. <clears throat> Which is always an interesting thing to me, how far away is heaven? And how fast did that angel take? Then you read further in the book of uh, Daniel, <clears throat> it took an angel three months because he was upheld by a demon. He was upheld by a demon over the nations. So obviously they have some control over what's going on. <clears throat> Assignments given to them 
by God. In the New Testament, they surround the birth of Christ. Angels are involved. At the temptation of Christ, angels encouraged him. Resurrection of Christ, angels were in the tomb. The coming of Christ for the church, the trumpet will blow by an angel. The second coming of Christ, read Revelation. They're all over the place. Now what do they do for us? Turn to Hebrews 1, 14. Hebrews 1, 14. What about angels? For us. So, uh, the first chapter or two of Hebrews, the writer is saying Christ is far superior to the angels. But angels do have a ministry to us. And he says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Now, I don't have a clue what that is. I have some ideas from other portions of scripture. There, for example, they minister to us in a spiritual way because we are in a spiritual conflict above us. They're the forces of evil and they're the forces of God. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. And so there's an unseen battle going on. Now, I don't want to take it as far. I think the Pentecostal groups have taken this way beyond where it should have been taken. All I know is this, that James says, if you're, if you're battling with this kind of thing, submit to God and what happens? They'll flee from you. We have Christians that see demons on every post. Let me tell you something. That most of the sin we do has nothing to do with demons. Most of the sin we have to do is with our own flesh. How do I know that? Well, you're going to have a thousand years in the kingdom with no Satan and no demons. And we still have sin. So don't blame everything like Flip Wilson, the old uh, comedian used to do, the devil made me do it. <clears throat> don't, don't go there. It's mostly you and me who have our biggest problem. So uh, they're interested in us. Now, leads us, I'm not going to get in all of Ange and the theology of angels this morning. But the question often comes, do I have a guardian angel? Probably not. That I read in scripture. That doesn't mean an angel may not be sent by God to accompany you in some sort or some way. But groups of angels may help you and it may be an individual. I don't know. I don't, I don't worry about it. But I've heard this. And you probably have too. Well, I got out of that accident because my angel helped me. Or an angel helped, helped me. Now, who sent the angel if that's true? You can answer back. Who? God. So who should get the glory, the angel or God? God. He may have used the angel. I can't say he did or didn't. 
But God is the one who brought you through that escape. We are talking this morning that uh, all of us are about inches from death at times. We didn't even know it. Or we didn't know it. Boy, that car missed me. The angel must have been there. No, it was God who was there, who protected you in the providence of God. And it's appointed unto man once to die. And you're going to die at that point, not five minutes before or five minutes after. And it's God who protects you up at that time till that happens. And these escapes, these narrow escapes, ought to wake you up and me up to the provision that God is protecting us. Now, what are they interested in the church? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know what they're interested in? The role of men and women in the church. Do this because of the angels, he says. Boy, has that been violated. Angels are interested in how we run the church and who runs the church. Angels are interested in the, in the leadership of the church, the role of women in the church, the purity of pastors. Even they're interested in our own salvation. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. 1 Peter 1 and verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not, this is the prophets of old, that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. I mean, they're interested in salvation and interested how all that came about and that their own creator was a man and their own creator went to the cross for us. They look into salvation. Now, according to uh, William Hendrickson, who wrote a commentary on Colossians, and he did some research, he found there's historical evidence to support the fact that the worship of angels was practiced in the Lycus Valley, in which were Laodicea and also Colossae and other churches. And there's an ascetic group known as the Essenes. Remember you heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls? Uh, this was found in an area of an Essene community. And the Essenes were ascetic. They were also very legalistic. Now, the Essenes were not necessarily in the Lycus Valley, but their doctrines were similar. And, the, and, and in order to be an Essene, you had to promise to carefully guard the names of angels. You notice there's not many names of angels in the Bible? Michael, Gabriel, and some could include the Abaddon in Revelation, but we don't have all these names. And 
And yet you find people having names for angels and everything else. The Synod of Laodicea, they found a note written in 363 A.D. And the Synod of Laodicea said, it's not right to leave the church and invade angels. It is also known that Michael, a leader of angels, was worshipped in Asia Minor as late as 739 B.C. So worship of angels has always been there. I'm going to say, you know, I don't think you see angels today. Uh, I think it would be too confusing. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. The Bible commands that God be worshipped with all our, our being and mind and soul, period. Not angels. <clears throat> Let's go through the book of Matthew and Luke. Start with Matthew chapter 4. And we'll look at 10. Matthew chapter 4. In the midst of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness, in verse 10 he says, Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not what? Worthy of me. I've been here a while and I've heard this more probably here than anywhere I've been. Family first. Family first. A family is very important. And in many ways, it should be the love and desire and goal of your life to raise it. But it's not more important than your worship of Jesus Christ. And how are you going to show that to your family? How are you going to show that you really love Jesus more than them? And I'll tell you this, if you love Jesus more than your family, you'll be a good husband. You'll be a good wife. And you'll be a good children. Right? I'll talk about that in the next couple verses. Matthew 22, verse 36. Mainly verse 37. Matthew 22. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God and Answer to a question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart, with some of your soul, and with all, some of your mind. Is that what it says? This is a case where all is all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And if you're not, what are you you're guilty of? Worshiping another God because you can't worship two gods. You can't serve two masters. Why? You will hate one and love the other. And guess which one gets hated? When your mind is divided, which one gets hated? God. 
You want to hear some more? Look at Luke chapter 14. I'll wait till you get there. Now large crowds were going with along with him, and he turned and he said to each of them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, what? What? He cannot be my disciple. Now what does it mean to hate? It means in this particular context, I believe, that your love for the Lord is so strong that there are cases when it appears in your own family that you hate them because you're putting the Lord first. Have you ever experienced that? You probably will if you haven't. That your love for, is so strong. I remember when my dad was dying. Probably a few days before his dying, I came up here. And, and one of my uncles showed up and visited my dad. And my dad was not really very conversive at that time. Could answer yes or no or yes. And he said, uh, I must confess there was a time in my life I really hated your dad. Because even though my dad went to a church which he didn't totally agree with at the time, he would not miss church for a family out. They would have picnics and park, and we'd go to the family picnic, the Gertzen family picnic, picnic, and they'd already eat. And we'd bring our stuff. Because in my, we had to go to church. And uh, I hated that. But that's the way it was. And he said to me, he said, I hated your dad for that stand. Why couldn't he be with us? But in actuality over the years, it was that testimony that brought my uncle to Jesus Christ. What are you telling your family? What are you telling people around me? How much do you really love the word? And how much are you willing to show them by your love for God's people and his word? What is it? What does your relatives say about you? Well, he goes to church. It's kind of a thing with them. Or does he go to church because he really loves God, because he shared that love with his family? I don't know what goes on in the four walls of the home. I don't know. But may your love for God be so strong that the other members of your family realize this is number one, and that will not be shaken. Fathers, take the lead. Mothers, support your dad. Mothers, take the lead in some cases. And children in other cases. Now, just to finish up on angels. 
The temptation to worship angels, if we were to see them, is very strong. Take a look at Revelation chapter 5. Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Now, this is the Apostle John. Of all the apostles, all the 12, 11, when you think about them, what do you think about John? John calls himself what? The disciple whom Jesus loved. John had the heart of Jesus maybe more than the rest of the disciples. Not that he loved him less. He had a fellowship with him, with John. And here's what we read after he saw the vision. Remember, it's revelation, one vision, not revelations. One vision, showed, angel showed him all that happened. And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now, John's testimony. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, he should have learned his lesson. Now look at chapter 22. Verse 8. I, John, the one who heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. What are angels? They're serving God like we are. Yet I've seen people who have claimed to see angels, have seen them. And it's almost like a, a mysticism. They think they have superior knowledge because they've seen an angel. Or they've seen Christ. Blessed are you who haven't seen him and still trust him. So don't worship angels. And then there are others who take stands on visions he has seen. So I thought, well, let me look at some of the what we would call cults. So I looked up the Mormon church. You can do this on internet. I did. The Mormon church of the Latter-day Saints was started by Joseph Smith, who saw a vision and an angel called Moroni. And he wrote on these stones. The visions are the visions he alone has seen. Nobody else saw it with him. And he interpreted alone. <clears throat> Another thing about Joseph Smith was he had 40 wives. The youngest was 14 and the oldest was 56. Mormon church didn't like to talk about that. So they play it down. So I decided to go in the internet and find out exactly what does the Mormon church teach. 
Guess what? You won't find it on the internet. Unless you're willing to sign up as a Mormon. I want to tell you something. These cults or lodges who make you swear to a secret truth is phony and it's satanic. You can ask anybody in this church, you can ask any elder in this church, you can ask me, what do we believe at Countryside Bible Church? And we're more than willing to tell you. I'm not hiding any spiritual truth. All I have is what I've learned and what I've taught. I don't have an inside track into heaven through the Holy Spirit to find out truth that nobody else has. Now listen to this. The president of Mormonism today is Russell Nelson. And here's what I read off the internet. Through a spokesman, Nelson declined an interview about his revelations. But more than any Mormon president in recent territory, he speaks openly and often about his divine communications, some of which have had significant consequences for the 16.6 million members of the church. Last year, Nelson announced that God had told him the church had stopped the moniker Mormon, a nickname that has stuck since the 1800s. The Lord impressed, says Nelson, and I quote, the Lord impressed upon my mind the importance of the name for the decreed for his church. Nelson said, quote, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So they changed the name. Now for you sports fans, they did another thing years, years ago. While I was still alive in the early 50s. They had a football team and a basketball team at their two universities, Utah and BYU. And they weren't winning. You know why? Because they believed that the black race was the cursed race from Genesis chapter 10. Well, if they're going to win, they're going to have to do what? You've got to have the black athlete today. So they changed the whole meaning so that they could take black athletes. How stable is that? How about Ellen G. White of Seventh-day Adventists? They too hide their doctrine. But listen to this. All through this time, Ellen, early days, continued to receive prophetic dreams and visions. Some 2,000 during her lifetime. 2,000 visions. And through them, she guided and formed the church. Over her lifetime, testimonies for the church expanded from a mere 16 pages to fill volumes. In 1863, she received a vision about human health, and her followers soon adopted her health regulations as part of practice rejecting meat, 
coffee, medication in favor of natural remedies. What did I say about legalism and its taboos? Do you know that food always gets in this somehow? You ever notice that first Timothy chapter 4, how food gets into it and marriage gets into it? Mormons? Ellen G. White? Well, surely the Jehovah Witnesses can help us. Since Jehovah Witnesses do not believe in a triune God, they teach that Jesus Christ is a created being. He is the Archangel Michael. Although they refer to him as the only begotten of God, Jehovah Witnesses insist that Jesus is the first of the created beings of God, and they teach that Jesus agreed to be placed in the womb of Mary in order to be sacrificed for the sins of humanity. However, Jehovah Witnesses do not believe that Jesus' death propitiated the eternal wrath of God since they do not believe in the deity of Jesus or eternal punishment. And all of this comes, and they're very proud of it. Proud of this stuff. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12. You know, I, I just find it interesting, the three, the three groups that I just mentioned, and this goes in lodges and everything else, they, they won't tell you what to believe. Why? Because they know it's wrong. Why do people avoid the light? Why do they like the darkness? So people don't know what they're doing. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And everything is open. And everything is above board. Should be. In fact, I'll go so far to say, and if you want to come to an elder board and see what's going on, feel free. Unless it's personal, you can, you can sit there and probably you'll be bored like many of them there. Not that they don't do important business, but what I'm saying, they're just handling the business of the, of the church. We don't have anything to hide. We're not hiding anything on a budget. We're not hiding anything on what we believe. We all believe the same, basically, as a minor interpretation here and there, probably. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 11, Verse, I'm going to read verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, listen to this, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They act as though they're apostles of Christ. They pretend. They hide it. No wonder, Paul says, for even Satan disguises himself as an actual angel of light. If Satan were to walk in here this morning and look like we think Satan looks like with a porch, uh, a, a pitchfork and a red suit, would anybody follow Satan? No. How did he appear to Eve? I'm Satan. And I want to suggest something to you, Eve. No. 
He appeared as a beautiful serpent. As one of my professors used to say, probably the family pet. She wasn't shocked that this animal talked to her. Couldn't have done it to Adam because Adam named all the animals and none of them talked to him. He disguises himself. Be aware. Therefore, it's not surprising if this servants also disguise themselves as servants of what? Righteousness. We got to take care of all the starving of the world. We got to watch out for the victims of war in Gaza in Ukraine. And we got to dig wells for the people who have no water. We got to do right things. We got to be righteous. Servants of righteousness. Not servants of the gospel. All of this, all of this stuff, downgrades Christ which we'll see next week Christ's position I warn you because Satan is at work in our world and I believe he's even more at work than he ever was because he knows we are nearing the second coming of Jesus Christ and when that happens in seven years, he will be totally locked up for a thousand. So he's busy. And you know what his target is? People in fundamental churches, sound churches, who are playing games and not really walking with the Lord. I hope you're not one of them. I hope you're not one of them. So make it a practice to get into the Word of God. And why are we hiding things? God is open in all that he does. May God help you. Let us stand for prayer. If for some reason you would like to talk to an elder in our church or would like special prayer, uh, or you just want to ask him a question or two, we'll have an elder up here after I'm praying who will be up here and be available. You don't have to use him, but he's there, and you can call us any day, any time of the week. We'd be glad to help you. Father, may we hold to the truth, for you said, as Jesus said, I am the truth, I am the way, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Lord, let us not downgrade Jesus Christ. Father, help us to uphold him and give him the preeminence in what we believe and how we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.